excited to end the week with you guys again. It's amazing, right? Don't these don't these weeks fly? I think they do. They should always fly. And for good things, it's great to be with you guys. Hope um did a lot this week and hopefully we'll be able to really continue next week. Next week next week is an interesting week because next week has Tishabub with it. Talk about that next week. Today we're gonna to do questions. It's the Q and A Friday. We started doing questions for those that are joining us for the first time now. We started doing questions every day at 920. We only get to like one or two. Hopefully today we'll get through a few more. Um, so if you ever want to send in questions, please send in at charlie at charlieharari.com. And hopefully we'll get to it during the week. And if not during the week, we look forward to sort of picking it up on Friday. Um, I just sort of go through them randomly. So I'm sorry if you sent something in that I didn't see yet. We'll just take it sort of like one by one. First one from Solomon. The question is, if you have some advice for concentration and focus on the thing you are doing right now, like in my case, that is studying, either it's Torah or for the university. Last four months, there's a lot going on. Very difficult to concentrate. Okay. Concentration is a big issue for people, myself included, where we... We have a hard time concentrating on any one thing. This is one of the great divides in, in the perception of how people do things versus how they actually do things. There's a misperception that multitaskers are more accomplished. Hollywood has dramatized multitaskers. There's like this picture of some, you know, executive you know, on the phone while doing the email, shouting some orders, getting on the thing, riding the elevator, doing the deal. There's like this misperception that like really accomplished people are constantly juggling a million things. We spoke about this in the show a while ago, how our brain has a very limited window. And the window is, I keep on going to move this light out of my face. The, the window is about 110 to 126 bits of information per second. And that means that you only could focus on that much. You can't do more. You can maybe stretch or drop, but like your brain just, you, your mouth can't take in more, your brain can't take in more. You're not just like not mad at your mouth. Like can you imagine sitting at a table, honestly, imagine sitting at a table and seeing a guy or woman, but probably mostly this would be a guy. Just like, there's like five things to eat and he's like just stuffing everything in his mouth at one shot and he's got, you know, the he's squeezing in, you know, the, the ketchup and he's got fries and pizza and you're like, yo, yo, just, just relax. Eat one thing at a time. But yet when it comes to our brains, we're like, yeah, I'll just do this and I'll do that and I'll email and I'll do this and I'll and have two conversations and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here. All it does is it just makes everything that we're doing need, we need to allocate very little attention so it almost guarantees it will be unsuccessful. Successful people don't multitask. It looks like they multitask because they take on a lot, but they don't multitask. What they do is they switch task. Wherever they are, that's where they are. And when they're all there, they take their, that attention that they've been, that allocation of attention, and they focus it entirely on that thing. And by doing that, they become successful in the moment at that thing, or more successful had they not been had, 
had they been multitasking. So how do you create a habit for this? Well, just like we spoke about, I think two, three days ago, just defer, just defer, set a clock and just say, I'm in for 10 minutes and I'm learning, I'm studying, I'm talking. And in 10 minutes, the, the clock will go off and I'll hear it. I don't have to worry about it. And then I will switch to the next task. And throughout the entire day, you'll get the exact same stuff done, if not more, is you're all here, then you're all here, and then you're all here. Really, Liran said there's an app for it, for those that are with me live on Zoom. All here, and all here, and all here, and all here. And what you're doing now is basically you're switch tasking, and you're using techniques like deferring as a way to calm the brain down to say, we're going to handle it just in five minutes. Number Advice number two, wherever you are, try to live at a place that is deeper than you are in it. So if you're in a conversation, your brain is used to hearing the words, try to double in and try to understand deeper, like just be full, more focused. Try to find a place that is deeper than you usually go wherever you are, studying, learning, emails, talking. Just try to find the place that's deeper in how you connect to that material and live there. Right? So if you go a little bit deeper, I really want to understand what this person's saying in the email. I really want to write a good email. I really want to hear what they're saying. I really want to understand what this passage means. I really want, right? Go a little bit deeper. You will now force your brain to use more attention just to maintain where you want to go. And as a result, you will train yourself that wherever you are, you will have to use more of your attention because you're at a much deeper place than you would have otherwise been if you live at the surface. I hope that helps. Michelle, <clears throat> thank you, Michelle, for your kind words. I keep pushing off my index card to do a list of fourth, the do, to do, to the do, I keep pushing off making my index card. I just spoke about being in the moment and now I'm reading this email too quickly. See, I keep pushing off making my index card to do a list of four things because I feel stuck since I usually have more than four things to do. Welcome to the club. And I need reminders to do them so I don't know what to do with this and what's stopping me from starting this ritual. Let me tell you what's stopping you from starting the ritual. This is, I'm so happy you asked this question, Michelle. This is exactly the problem that so many of us go through all the time. We have too much to do. We don't know how to pick one. It's just too much. Like it's, it's the smorgasbord of life. There's too many things. And let me tell you what stops me all the time. I've got a couple of really big foes in front of me. And like you and me, you know, we're trying. That's all we can ask for is to try and God hooks us up. I'm going to share with you one of my greatest, dis, this, if I would have to look at the moments that disempower me the most, this is like at the top. If I sit down and there's more than a few things to do. And I start focusing on one thing and I'm like, I got to do this, I can do that. And then, and then, and then what do I got to do today? And I finish my task list and it's like 20 things. And here's what happens. Watch. Watch how this works. I think it was the tomato sauce industry. I think it was the tomato. It was either tomato sauce or laundry detergents. I'm sure Andy's already like looking this up as I'm talking. There was an industry that started to produce greater versions of its product. I think it was tomato sauce. So you go to the restaurant or the supermarket in the old days and there was like, chunky and creamy. 
tomato sauce. Sales were at a certain level. Then the tomato sauce industry realized, wait a second, this is crazy. We can do tomato sauce can rock. There could be chunky, creamy, uh, garlic, olives with, you know, uh, I don't know, with, uh, with peppers, not with peppers. There's going to be 50 versions of tomato sauce. So they start to unleash, in order to increase sales, as one of the new sales strategies, a like 10 more versions. I'll get all the details for this. I remember reading this years ago. I think Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell, spoke about this once at, a, at an event. Interesting difference between mustard and, and, and tomato sauce. Hold on the story. So they start to increase the, the amount of choices, thinking that if sales are here for two choices, forget about it. If we, if we put in eight choices, sales will go up exponentially. And what they found was that actually the sales went down after they increased the choices. And the reason is because, remember, our brains can only take in a certain amount of information. Once we take in more information, we are mentally exhausted, exactly, or we're overwhelmed. And when we get overwhelmed with something, we usually give up. Like the typical response to being overwhelmed is to give up. So when you go to the restaurant, the supermarket, and you're looking at chunky or creamy, it's not really overwhelming. You need tomato sauce. Like, yeah, maybe you'd like it with peppers, but like you need tomato sauce. So you like chunky or creamy. It's not that complicated. You pick one, off you go. If you've got eight more choices, here's what happens. You're like, should I creamy, chunky, should I do it with peppers? Should I put, mm, garlic looks good. Ah, I love the garlic one. Yeah, but if I had the garlic one, what about the oregano one? Now your brain's got more information. At some point your brain goes, ah, this is too much. This is too much. And you got four more, th- you got 40 more things on this list. You know what? I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. And you go shopping, and as you look towards the aisle with all the sauces, your brain's like, I don't think so. Like, we don't have time for this. This is just, this is just the first thing you're doing on your day. Are you kidding me? And you're like, you know what? I'll just, I'll, I'll, I think I have tomato sauce anyways in the cabinet. And you give up. This happens sometimes with dating. You see people dating. And because we're living in a time right now where, like, everybody's available to you at all times. Because in the old days, you dated the people, like, in your area. Now, like, all the stuff go. It's almost an infinite amount of people that one could date. Like every person you speak to, like, yeah, but then there's this, then there's this, then there's this. As you increase choices, your brain, it's much harder for your brain to operate. And I think Andy is posting. Yeah, there it is. Andy found it. Choice, happiness, and spaghetti sauce. Spaghetti sauce by Malcolm Gladwell, the Ted. Andy, we're like, forget about it. What would I do without you? Andy Boltex, for those that are here. Um, that are here live or watching it on any of our platforms here. So here's the problem, and this is how it relates to your day. The minute our mind goes, I got to do 30 things, your brain goes, you know, just take the day off. It's it's almost 5 o'clock. It's almost the weekend. It's summer. I mean, it's summer. Am I done yet? Because your brain's like, I can't do all that. So understand what happens. When you restrict your day to four things, you write one, two, three, four. The minute you get to five, six, seven, eight, once you get to that zone, your brain's like, you're not going to do one, two, three, four, or five, six, seven, eight. As you start to increase the spaghetti sauces, as you start to, to, to increase the things you got to do, you decrease that emotional willpower to get it done. How do you do this? Just write four. Just do it. 
allow yourself to tell yourself that, okay, so I won't do everything today. I just won't. What will happen if you just pick any four? You're going to start to condition your brain to pick four, and then you're going to start to pick the best or the most important four. I just had this conversation with a company. We did this exercise um, in strategy. Strategy is very complicated, and a lot of companies get it very wrong. They, do what they, they live in the world of what we call operational effectiveness, which is not strategy. So we were working with the company to figure it out. And I just met with their executive team, and they had goals. And there was like 150. I'm like, no. Like, no, it's impossible, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, this, this three top goals. And there's a concept called OKRs, whatever. And th- there's no way. And you work long enough, and you realize that there are some core things that have to be dealt first as first. And by forcing you to put four, you're almost forced to put the most important things on the top, and then you'll have to do those more, most important things, and those are usually the ones. Usually what happens when you have long test lists is you pick the ones that are easier, you do them, they suck out little bits of your willpower, and then at the end of the day, you do lots of little things that are somewhat unimportant, and since you're sucked dry, you, still, you don't have enough for that one or two big things that you have to do. Objective, exactly. We do, we do objectives and key results with the companies. Um, okay. Seth, question on journaling. Delete immediately. Okay, this, this is a good question, Seth. Okay, well, this is what Seth says. Seth, I think me and you have very similar brains. So if you're listening, this is what Seth emails me. By the way, I had the same thought, and many of you may have had it as well, which is why I'm reading this. Question on journaling. Journaling. Delete immediately or every few weeks or save. Object is to sit and put concrete words on the most private thoughts flowing through the conscious in an unrestricted way. So if the underlying purpose is to an exercise and is to, is an exercise, then when it's done, the moment you finished it that day and it's private stuff just for you. So should you delete it when it's done? On the other hand, if there's a point in going back and read it later time, then you have to save it. But if doing that, listen to this, the way your brain works, listen to this is such a good question. If, if you, if you have to write unrestricted free private thoughts, and then you write them, you may be thinking, someone may read this one day. Like, I don't know. And then when you think that, you're going to s- stop your flow. Yeah, someone once emailed me once and said, he, he was struggling with journaling. I said, how come? He said, because every time I was journaling, like in his brain, he was like picturing like he's going to die. And then they're going to look at his computer. And then they're going to read his intimate thoughts. And they're going to write, read it at his, you know, at his funeral. This is the guy's thinking. So as he's writing, he's writing not what he's really thinking. He's writing like as if he was giving an intimate portrayal of his thoughts that will be read in public. You know what I'm saying? Like, like as if like someone's going to find it and then the next morning someone's going to read. And then my dad, he wrote this in his private journal. I only want to do good for the world. And I like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and he was like, I'm faking it, but I'm faking it in my journal. Love it. This is what we're talking about. This is honesty. This is like the real stuff. Once you live in this space where you're questioning, you're questioning, you're like in the the game of being real. So great question, Seth. Anyone has this question, it's a great one. Let me tell you what I do because I've had it a million times. And since it's just me and you here, I can share my private things. Liron is correct. You do never delete it. You never, you never, you never delete things. And here's why. Because the, the half of the exercise is reading things. I cannot begin to describe to you the level of appreciation you're going to have if you do this when you go back 10 years out. There are things I've written 
10 years ago, more. And I read them. It's unbelievable to me. I'm back in my brain. I can see where, I, I can see the patterns of what I'm constantly struggling with. I can see where I've grown. It, it's, you can't believe the level of insight you're gonna have. So here's a couple of things. If you can, if you guys, if you're not worried about it, then just space out for the next five minutes or three minutes. If you're worried about it, I'm gonna give you a couple of tips. Number one, when you write in a journal, skip the first few pages. Most people, when they look at journals, the first few pages or, or, or the first few pages, you can write something else. But when you start to write personal things, if you skip the first few pages, there are very few people in this world that will read handwritten stuff towards, you know, halfway through the middle of the book. If the first few pages are blank, write, you know, uh, personal, please don't read, um, contact at half the world, maybe more, just good people. I'm saying most, I shouldn't say that, 99, I believe, 95% of the world are good people. And half of the people that get it, they will have that consciousness to say, someone else's stuff, I'm not going to read it. And for the most part, people are not going to read handwriting. Like it's just, it's not going to, not going to do it. Um, if you have it, like Ariel has a, uh, has a, a native tongue. Great. Do it there. Um, the only thing that you can do, this is a little more secretive. If you want, I've done this a while ago. I still do this sometimes. So I'll show you my, my, the way I do it. When you, if you, anyone who types, if you type your journals, um, then when you're done typing, you can control A, right? And you can highlight all the text and you could, the font, you can make it any color, make it white. So when you save it, don't delete it. You're saving it, if you can imagine it. Now the background's white and the font is now white. So if anybody comes to the page, it's like writing in invisible ink, they're gonna see a blank page. But you know that when you go to this page in your computer, all you gotta do is control A, highlight it, and click black, and all the words will reappear. That, that, that's another sort of little trick that I use just to feel that I can flow. But between me and you, I don't know if anyone, I don't think anyone's gonna read it, and I don't think anyone's gonna find it. Like at this point in my life, there are so much, there's so much stuff on my computer that you're gonna need like a, an investigative reporter to like navigate through all of the files that if I stick a file somewhere, it's gonna, it, there's no chance um, someone's gonna find it. And the truth is, I don't think anyone's ever gonna read handwriting. So when I write in my, my journals, I have, here, 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 here they are. When I write in my journals, I, I switch between writing. Like when I write in my journals over here, for those that are seeing my writing, like, um, I don't think anyone's gonna go to my, find it. So that's just me, but good question, okay. Then we have time for one more. Esther, manifesting. All right, manifesting this whole thing. Let's talk about manifesting. I'm hearing a lot of concept on social media, manifesting a good life. Let me tell you my opinion on manifesting. There is a concept in Torah in, in, about manifesting. There is a concept where the spiritual world is an actual world. It is the beginning of blessing. So when you get anything in this world, it really begins in the spiritual world and then it comes into the physical world and manifests into something. 
there is a concept that you have spiritual blessing coming to you, but it gets blocked before it gets into the physical world. And it gets blocked for a whole bunch of reasons. One is a lack of faith. One is a lack of appreciation and gratitude. There's a lot of reasons why spiritual benevolence or spiritual bounty doesn't transform into physicality, according to Torah thought. And it has to do with one's own personal growth. But a lot with gratitude and faith and recognition and just being humble. So, for example, there are, I've spoken to major rabbis who have said to me that this person has a bracha, a blessing, or a mazel, which is sort of a, it's a, it's like a mazel comes from the Hebrew word um, to draw, I believe, like linzol. Those of you who speak Hebrew natively, tell me if that is an actual native Hebrew word. But mazel doesn't, in English, we pour. Thank you, Liran. What would I do that, Liran? Liran, I need you every second. This is awesome. The, 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 the word we use mazel for to mean luck. It's not, how, it's not what mazel is. There's a concept where um, it's there. I've spoken to plenty of major rabbis who've told me that, and this person that's there, meaning they, they see something and they know that the thing that that person wants is there. It's just they don't know how to bring it into their lives. And many times it has to do with the attitude, humbleness and all that stuff. So when we talk about manifesting, there is a spiritual concept called manifesting. Is it that you sit down and like you picture like a mansion and you get a mansion? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know if you can do that. Like, I know there's like a whole world like that, Rhonda Byrne, the secret. I don't know if you can just sort of like close your eyes and picture a mansion. And because you're picturing the mansion, the mansion comes versus what we've been learning here, which is the more you picture a mansion, the more a mansion gets manifested in your brain, right? The more neuroplasticity you create. So the more when you're about to make a purchase or you're about to do things or whatever it is, you're just focused or you're more driven to make more money and you're more driven to buy that. So ultimately you get there. Just like when your mom says you should be a doctor or you should be a lawyer, you end up like wanting to be a lawyer. Like, I don't know if manifesting is more than just the visualization exercise that we've been talking about on the show. So it's either that or there's something deeper to it, but I can't see the depth to it just being sitting around and picturing it. It's just not, it doesn't align that you can just picture something. God's like, Oh, Oh, you're picturing a mansion. Like, huh? Okay. Well, all those people that are working hard, like, sorry, this guy's on his couch picturing a mansion. And so I guess I'm going to have to, hmm, he's going to get it because they're just working all day and you're really picked. I just, I can't imagine that being true. But it, the point I'm trying to make here, the, the point I'm trying to make here is manifesting is a great thing because it changes Robert, Rob, just Rob, you nailed it with me at the second. Manifesting is a great thing because manifesting allows you to change what you think. And when you're constantly manifesting good, you're just putting yourself in a position of good. And when you're constantly manifesting, we're going to win the championship or we're going to have a great marriage or my kids are going to do well. This is a great, let me end with this. I mean, I, we can go on forever. Um, I was having a challenge where, no, forget it. Um, if a parent has a challenge, challenges one of his children, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm having a challenge with one of my children academically. And 
I was talking to someone about this and they gave me such great advice. And the advice they gave me was, you have to picture that child academically successful. Because when you deal with them, you can't deal with them from a place of, it's, you have to deal with them from a place of, it's going to work. Because that will drive you to find things to help that child that you may not have done because you've given up on them. And it's not fair to give up on any child. You can't give up on children. The school system does not, is not a, a accurate enough indicator on the, 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 the abilities of children. It's just not. So if there's a kid who struggles academically, it don't matter. The kid can be brilliant in a lot of different ways. So picture greatness and, and be helpful along the way. Now, there's a lot of ways to ruin that, but that's what manifesting can do. You can picture something into the future. And at the very least, what that will do is it'll keep your mindset positive. Let me end with this. Um, I, I believe it, I don't, I'll, I'll get the quote later, but many, in many ways, if you look at the, if you look at people that were dreamers, um, if you look at the people that were really the early founders of the, of the modern state of Israel, here you have individuals who faced odds that were nearly impossible. They were relying on miracles pretty much, but they never relied on the miracle, right? And if you, if you ever want to see what manifesting could do, just read the stories of David Ben-Gurion and Golda Meir and Levi Eshkol and, um, and all the Moshe Dayan, all the great early leaders of the state of Israel. You will see a group of people that were very real, but they had a dream. They manifested it, like they manifested it. Obviously, I believe it was God with them every second, but it's still that mentality of we're going to win. 1948, we're going to win. We have no airplanes. We're going to win. You're, stating, you're, you're, you're declaring a state before you have airplanes. We're going to win, right? 1960, we're, like these, it's such a good point of manifestation, which is keep your head on a positive goal and you will see along the way, you're going to be something that you never dreamed of. Okay. Exactly. That's hurtful. Okay, everybody. What can I say? What an honor to be with you. The level of, of, of joy that I get just by being together is, uh, is, is I can't express in words. Thanks so much for, for being here. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for being with us and with me. Um, have a great weekend. Shabbat Shalom. And with God's help, I cannot wait to see you again next week. Have a good week.